If anyone is listening, please share this with everyone in the year 2020. The future of education depends on it. This transmission is coming to you from the future with love. Hi, my name is Johan Kalilian. As an executive coach, I time travel with people. I get to help people create their future from their future. One of the guiding principles that we use as coaches is how future-based language transforms the way the world occurs to us. In other words, the way you speak about tomorrow shifts the way you look at the world today. It also shifts how you interact with that world. Join me as we write a letter from the future with love. Have you ever had a conversation with someone about how to fix a big problem in the world? I'm talking about like one of those really, really big problems in the world. Inevitably, the topic of education will come up. You know what I'm saying? Like we all believe that we can't grow or change or get better without education. And I feel like politicians, and I'm not going to name any names, left education on the back burner this past election. Did you notice that? I mean, look, and and I get it. With coronavirus and racial injustice and economic strife and all the urgent matters at hand, education seems like a luxury rather than a necessity right now. I mean, at least to some. And then we elected Joe Biden. And there was this resurgence in our focus on education every time Dr. Jill Biden was mentioned. Dr. Biden will be the first working first lady in the history of the United States government. She will carry on as an English professor at Northern Virginia Community College, in addition to working on expanding cancer research, providing free community college, and she also spoke to groups dedicated to improving education for children of military families. But what does improving education look like? The Program for International Student Assessment announced in 2019 that the performance of American teenagers in reading and math has been stagnant since the year 2000, and that the achievement gap in reading between high and low performers is widening. When students were asked for suggestions on how to improve America, there were nearly 300 comments with a wide array of suggestions on how schools could be improved to better teach and prepare students for life after graduation. Primary requests such as eliminating standardized tests and de-emphasizing grade performances were very common. And the majority of students addressed how they just wanted to feel more prepared for real life. I mean, I've been there. Many students were just talking about support and and engaging in environments where learning thrived. I mean, how do we do that? How can we foster these things within the educational system? And my friends, where do we start? I mean, I love that you're on the show as a coach because you can you really understand going into the future and creating a vision first so that we can figure out, well, how the heck do we get there, right? It's, it's living a generative life as opposed to a default life. And especially when it comes to education, I feel like at least what I've experienced is it's, a, it's very default oriented. It's what have we done right. in the past that That's works right. and let's just continue to do it over and over and over again. Yeah, if you, think about, real- uh, if you think about all of the, the things that, have, are, that look different in, in the whole world, you know, just from the turn of the, of the 20th century, right? And from 1900 till now, right? Cars look different. Planes didn't exist back then, right? Computers didn't exist, exist back then. Houses look different. Laws are very different, right? But schools look exactly the same, right? Mm-hmm. Like just bigger and with some different features. But in terms of the, the mode of, of instruction, it's virtually unchanged for over 125 years. And that's, there's something there that is 
is really fun to get curious about uh, and say like, well, why? Well, like what's working? But then there's also something disconcerting to be like, hey, hang on. Something smacks there that like it should not be. And and that's where it's fun to go play. And that's that was why, you know, after listening, uh, hearing from your time traveler about the noble future, I wanted, I was so inspired to come back and be like, let me tell you about education and what education looks like in 2050. Yeah, and that's that's exactly one of what I want to hear. Part of the reason, too, is like I, I grew up in the inner city of Chicago and I never really valued education growing up. It, I didn't yeah. see it as a mode or a mechanism that could actually help me survive as a human being. Yeah. I Basketball was actually something that was more helpful to me. So that's where I kind of put all my time and energy you know, gave me street clout and credibility, helped me develop friendships. It learned, you know, helped me learn how to uh, work as a team, the discipline that was involved with sports. All of that I felt like was more instrumental in me becoming a productive member of my city community mm-hmm. friend network mm-hmm. than what I, what I thought I was learning in school. And I would love to talk a little bit about that too. It's like, how are we actually passing on tools to our kids and the next generation that will help them become productive members of society and even create the future that we're talking about. So what, what year are you from? 2050. Yeah, give us, give us an inside scoop into what the future of education looks like. And, and specifically, like, you know, what makes it different than what we have right now? So what does the future look like in 2050? Well, there are three main differences that I see. One is that um, it doesn't matter where you are going to school or where you're being educated. You are all, every education is aimed at a common end. And that is equipping humans with the faculties, abilities, and skills to help them create a noble life. The other main thing is that, again, no matter what institution you're at, whatever, whatever school, college, university, high school, private school, public school, or charter school, passion has become a central pillar of education. And then finally, one of the things that's, that's most exciting is that access has changed to quality education so that it's so surprising how many different avenues you can take and how many options that a family has or a student has to find education that serves who they want to become and how to live that noble life. I love it. I mean, because here's what's, you know, part of what sticks out for me is I've, I've said things like this to my friends where, you know, it's like school doesn't teach you how to be a good person or, or school doesn't teach you how to raise a child. School doesn't teach you how to balance your checkbook. And it seems like you're saying in the future that you're coming to us from, the educational system will actually do some of these things. Some of them, yeah, absolutely. Especially the, those first two, that, that there is a vision for a good life, a vision for how to carry yourself in terms of pursuing your own goals in a way that's not, that's not riddled with stress. And then there's a way in which it also helps you figure out how do you interact, serve, be with, um, and work with others. And then there are those other practical uh, concerns about, yeah, how do you learn to do taxes in the first place? And this is where, you know, the work of education that hasn't stopped. That's the, the nice thing is that it's expanded to where there's opportunity for education outside of, quote unquote, formal schooling, right? So now, okay, you've got your first job and you're filing tax for the first time, you're not sitting there going like, well, how do I even do this? Because you know how many places are available for you to be like, oh, let me go and ask this person. Or like, I can go and and check in uh, and, and EdTech has helped just connect you to more people to say like, hey, can you help me file my taxes? Can you help me make my first budget? Hey, what are the top three things that I need to know when I bring my kid home from the hospital, right? Yeah. Those things are there, and it goes beyond the knowledge, right, into that application. And I think the other, uh, one of the, the biggest differences of education now is that uh, approaching those waypoints, those markers of, you know, we kind of consider them as like 
rights for becoming an adult is not seen as as scary, right? That doesn't mean there's not some fear or some anxiety around them, but there's not this, this like, oh man, I am so stumped and I feel disempowered by my lack of knowledge, right? That's the big difference is that now, as soon as you get to those waypoints, because of everything that you've received from early childhood into your adulthood, you're like, oh, I can figure this out. I know where to go to get this answer. And so uh, we have extremely resourceful individuals that we're, we're serving and, and helping create. One of the fathers of coaching, his name is Werner Erhard, and um, you're familiar with some of his work because obviously you got to be familiar if you're going to swim in the work like we do. Yeah. One of the things that he does in, in his seminars is he invites people into really considering what they don't know that they don't know. And, you know, I, I start to think about when it comes to education, what if that was part of the, the framework? Because I feel like when it comes to what we call education, it's just like, let's teach you what a lot of people know, and then we're going to let you know what you need to know or what we think you should know. Instead of inviting and, you know, young, old, whatever age you're in, into this new way of approaching knowledge and understanding and being so that you can start to really become aware of the unknown. So is in the future now, this is like, I'm, I guess I'm leading you a little bit because I was like, I would love it if the future has a little bit of this in it. So does it, is, is it, do we invite people into this type of education and, and knowledge gathering? We had to, we absolutely had to. Um, and so I love that you, you're anticipating it. Um, it's probably because you're seeing the, the perils of, of, of it not happening right now in 2020, right? You've got uh, you have high-performing teenagers and young adults who are, who are just crushing it at school, by the way. They are like, they are just, get on my back. I got this, right? Like, and they, they've got 6.0 GPAs and like acing their AP tests. There is no problem with their work ethic, with their studies. There's no problem with their discipline. All of this like great grit and resiliency is there. That's awesome. Um, and then they have nowhere to put all that because mm -hmm. immediately the world just exposes what they don't know, right? And, and so you go from being top of the class to being like just totally adrift, you know, and you thought you, thought you were on solid ground and you're like, no, no, no. I'm in an ocean and I don't know which way is north, south, or west. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the that and and we 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 realized that the, what a great disservice. Right? What a great disservice to kids, to young adults, um, to to equip them with so much knowledge and nothing about like no awareness of of how much growth is available for them, how much where where the next things are. And so we just kind of gently said, hey, we got this. You're okay. We're going to help, right? Mm -hmm. And we redesigned our, our instruction for curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. Not for object learning, not for goal setting in that, in, in that credentialing way, right? Like, oh, well, here's like, let me show you my high school resume. And it's like, you know, longer than mine is currently now, right? Mm -hmm. But instead, you know, we, we really looked back, and this is again where passion comes in, right? Say so mm -hmm. like, great, hey, where where do you want to be putting your your energy and your focus? Because you love it, right? Not because of your worry about uh, X, Y, or Z. Not because of your scarcity in thinking, well, I've got to hit these marks because otherwise, who am I? Right. Instead, no way. We're coming at you. We're, teachers are coming at students with this great joy and these grins on their faces being like, what good are we going to get up to today? Right? Mm -hmm. And asking them, asking them, hey, where, like, what kind of passion do you want to bring to the table? Where are, we, where are we chasing your question today? Right? And so there's a lot more open-endedness. That doesn't mean that oh, it's just all like, you know, totally unstructured, 
and in fact, quite the opposite. There's there's a real uh, sense to what we're doing. We just haven't. Yeah. We're grounded in this ability to say, "You're amazing," and you have a long way to go. At the same time, yeah, I think one of the greatest travesties that I've experienced, and it feels like it's still relevant right now, is that we're 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 telling kids, we're telling young people, you know, education is primarily about acing tests, you know, and and mastering information and sort of like regurgitating it so that you can prove you know what we just taught you. And I and I would move into a different realm because like, you know, there we say this often in some of the trainings that we give where we kind of posit the importance of curiosity and we say, you know, there's questions that we answer and then there's questions that we answer too. And I really wish our educational system was rooted in that second part, right? Like it's there's questions that we answer too. And we're we're inviting young right. people, young minds and old minds, you know, into a new way of being where you understand that the question is the point. It's not the answer. It, it's not, and that's what I think so much of school is prove that you know the answer. Yeah. We're gonna give you information. Now prove that you know the answer, as opposed to getting really, really good at asking a question, asking it again, re-asking it, pondering some more, marinating a little bit, because that question will continue to inform you and educate you, right? So is, is that a new part of the, the new world too, where it's like, it's, it's more question-based than prove that you know the answers? Absolutely. I mean, the inquiry is now our main mode. And that's because of that, those pillars of curiosity. And also, this is, this is what I think is, uh, is most exciting is that and I don't know how it happened, and I don't know that it was ever formal, but it's almost as if the kind of the new, this new model of education had foundations laid on paradoxes, right? Mm. And just, it, and we got comfortable with those in a way that we had never done before, which is, I think, where, where you know, where you're, you are in 2020, that's a lot of the, like, worry is because uh, we have these extremes that we're, we're trying to make happen when really like the truth is, is kind of somehow contradictorily both at the same time. Right. Yeah. What so, are those extremes? Give yeah, us a, exactly. Yeah. Paint that, paint that clear for us. Yeah. So for instance, uh, the, the, in education, it was the, the, the paradox of efficient versus pleasant. So mm. and to illustrate that, right. Like, let's say you have a mountain and there's already a tunnel that's been like powered through that right um and and so it's, it's an expression of power and and ease to go through that tunnel or go through that mountain via tunnel right great there's no problem you get there faster possibly safer right why would you also go like on a hike over the mountain right because mm -hmm. it's pleasant because it has a totally different activity. I don't, I don't know about. I mean, I'm from the city. I like you know. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I love yeah, it. You can imagine pleasantries there, right? So, so right. that's one uh, result versus process, public versus private, right? So just the fact that we're private individuals that live in public spaces, or we have private institutions that also have public, like, spaces. These are th th that's an inherent one that we said. Oh, you know what? This doesn't have to be either or right? Let's, let's sit with it. Let's just marinate in the fact that there's both going on. Power versus pleasure is the kind of the same thing of efficient versus pleasant. Equal versus exceptional. This one is like, we were banging our head against the wall back in 2020 about this one. When somehow, you know, we were able to just kind of like sit back and be like, oh, we can provide equally so that people can be exceptional from each other, right? Excellent. Excellence in its the, the word, right? It, and I don't know, this is not uh, super intelligent. This is just going to a dictionary, right? It means to go beyond, right? To, to, to be above, right? Mm -hmm. And so excellence, excellence requires inequality. It just does. And yet we want to seek it. That's why you have 6.0 GPA kids, because they're seeking excellence. But the problem is that, oh, we also have in our, in our core, our human core, this uh, desire for equality and fairness. That's a tension. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a big tension. And so that became a really central pillar actually now because we're able to say, hey, 
you have every opportunity available to you, just like everybody else. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to excel? Yeah. How are you going to go beyond them? And not in a way that that's like, you know, tied up with your worth, but in a way that's like, what? Let's go find out how you can go beyond personal Mm -hmm. versus social, right? And so that's the same of like private versus public. And then also like person versus object or love versus use, right? So doing something for an end versus doing something for a means. And and that's really inherent in education uh, because education seems uh, caught between the two. Loving things or like pursuing knowledge for its own sake. You've heard that before. And then like pursuing knowledge because it helps you live good lives. That's a utility, right? And that's fine. But some people want it to be one or the other. And then what we got to figure out was just like, actually, what's the place for both, right? And then really realizing and kind of what you, you, uh, you mentioned is that like the way we answer to those questions, the way we answer to those questions becomes just our activity, right? You're, the life that we live is the answer. And it's just saying, oh yeah, hey, I wonder what, you know, my lesson or I wonder what this unit that's going to stress their personal individuality mm-hmm. and their public obligation. I wonder what that's going to be like. Let's go find out rather than I got to get it right. right. And it's got to be really clear one way or the other. And all that, it's just that curious, like, let's go, let's go stress test it to see what we discover. Because as, as long as we're aiming for that middle, we're going to land pretty close. And pretty close, by the way, yeah. uh, is, is really great in education. Yeah, and even I think you know to to dig deeper with people because I I believe that I mean even when I first heard the distinction between like you know questions yeah. that we answer and questions that we answer to is just giving people a little bit more insight to be like well what does it mean? like what does that even mean questions that we answer to and as it relates to education you know if we start to talk about well what does it mean to truly be mm-hmm. educated. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's part of what we're starting to step into right now in our yeah. conversation. And I think that's a question that we answer yeah, to. Absolutely. What does it mean to truly be educated? Because I would say we've been told it means like people who read books, you go to school, you have degrees, you prove that you've been educated. And I think what we're starting to delve into right now in terms of conversation is, hey, guess what? There's much more to it. Like if you want to be truly educated, there's much more to it than that. And, and I think that's part of what I love about coaching is, is really inviting people into an education that extends beyond head knowledge. That's right. Because I feel like, and you and I have seen it in the work where there are a lot of people who avoid stuff by, by learning right. more. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They don't get to create the results because they're like, well, I'm going to read another book and I'm going to go back to school. And it's like, well, you're actually not creating the life that you want. You're avoiding becoming a better person. You're avoiding actually growing because you're staying in the world that's comfortable, which is I'll read another book. I'll become an expert who actually doesn't step into action, right? Like there's people who are addicted to insight right. and insight would be, I would say, another word for education. Well, again, it's another, as it, opposed that's the tension, to, right? Is like, hey, you know, uh, uninformed or uninsightful action has its cost as well, Right. You know, so if you're acting without mm-hmm. that knowledge, without the reflection, without that, uh, without a body of, of wisdom, that, that has cost, right? Um, and so similarly, and if you're, if you're just learning an awful lot, and this is, you know, uh, actually framers of the early republic. No, no, sorry. This is uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who um, was really wary of like the fact that so many of, of the, the wise, you know, authors that, that his students were studying were bookworms only, you know, and they weren't doing, they weren't acting. And so, so there's, there's, and again, that's the tension, that's the tension there um, Mm -hmm. that we just get to say, yes, and we're, we, your life will be uh, lived in practical application. It must be, it must be, right? And we want to equip you so that that is the best case scenario. I want to read a quote so this is, uh, this is a, a real uh, foundational piece of, of 
work in education for me. It's by a scholar. She's still alive in, at St. John's University in Annapolis, Maryland. Her name is Ava Braun, uh, which is kind of an unfortunate name because that was it's similar to Hitler's wife. But we we can disregard oh, no. that. She's a brilliant philosopher. Yeah. But one one thing that I loved uh, in in this book that she wrote is called "Is the Glory of Modernity to Know." that the most kinds of productive work, including the service trades, can be carried on in a liberal spirit, intelligently and with relish. And what she's saying there is like, you don't have to be a Mensa genius, a philosopher, in order to like live intelligently and enjoy your life. Like, of course not. That's a, that's a, that's kind of an elitist thing to say, right? And we have to guard against that. And we have, by the way, um, in this intervening period. Um, but we've really gotten back to that to say, actually, a life well lived, education serves that. And, it, and, and that it, it's that. Living it with your mind actively, right? And enjoying that work. Enjoying the work. Enjoying bringing your mind to the activities that you do. Whether it's trade, whether it's white collar, whether it's blue collar, whether it's statesmanship whether it's education itself, I'm bringing my mind to every moment of this activity. And which, mm-hmm. which really does end up being uh, the, the thing that, that we, we said, that's the, that's the crown jewel, right? How do we get people to participate in their activity, to par- actually participate mm-hmm. in what they're doing, right? And that, that was the danger we started to see, was this disassociation, right? And, and again, this goes back to what we're seeing, you know, in your time, kids that are, are acting for something that, like for a, a, a future that doesn't exist, they're acting for things that are kind of promises that, that can't be kept even, right? And so their 6.0 GPA turns into what, right? And all the stress and all that, right. that energy that they put into, um, it's toward false ends. And so, you know, what better end than to say, oh, actually, the whole point of this is so that you enjoy thoroughly and not in a like, you know, pleasant, like, oh, I'm eating candy way, right? But like, no, I, I candy's good though. There's still a place there. I love candy. (laughs) But I'm saying that high end of education is no longer, it's not just like titillating. It's saying like, oh, I am deeply engaged in everything that I'm doing. I'm going to be honest with you guys. When I was a little person, I really didn't understand the point of school. I mean, everything they were trying to teach us seemed so pointless. It wasn't going to help me survive in the hood. I mean, how would science help me say no to the local gang? How would English help me talk my way out of a fight? How would algebra help me deal with a drunk uncle? I mean, the only part of school that I loved was being a part of the basketball team. That, and only that, made it worthwhile. And that's how I spent all my time as a kid when I was growing up in Chicago. I mean, one of my favorite parts of growing up in Chicago was, well, especially in the 80s and 90s, was being a firsthand witness to the wonders of Mr. Michael Jordan himself. I mean, all I wanted to do was be like Mike. So much so that I, I made sure that I wore number 23 in high school. I even, you know, did the tongue wagging thing from time to time. And, you know, I wish I could say I was as good as Mike, but, you know, I mean, I wasn't. I, I was good enough, however, to get offers to play college basketball. And the offer that would keep me close to home, the offer that I was most excited about was an offer to play ball at the University of Chicago. I mean, this was one of those surreal moments in my life. Like, it felt like it was this dream on the verge of coming true. But as a youngster, you know, 17-year-old kid, I didn't quite know what to do next. So I booked this appointment with my school's guidance counselor to figure out what my next steps should be. And I still remember sitting in her office, right? Like, Dr. her name was Sister Ruth. And I just remember sitting there and watching her read this letter and I remember wondering, like, what was, you know, what was the first thing that she was going to tell me after she finished reading? And she finished the letter, she closed it up, she put it in an envelope, 
And she just looks at me and she says, you're never going to make it. She said the University of Chicago is one of the best schools in the nation when it comes to academics and, and you don't have what it takes. You're pretty good at basketball, but you can't cut it. And I'll be honest with you guys, that moment, that very moment, it changed the course of my life because I didn't go to the University of Chicago. Instead, I went to uh, another school called Northeastern Illinois University. And I made this choice. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to try out for the basketball team my first year. I decided to focus on my academics because I sensed that it required more attention. Right? Like I wasn't confident in that area of my life. My goal my first year of college was to kill it in the classroom so that I could start to do the same on the court. And at the completion of my first year of college, I had officially made the honor roll. Take that, Sister Ruth, right? Like I felt this extreme sense of accomplishment. But that's not the end of the story. The very next year, all athletics were cut from Northeastern. And I often wonder, like, how different would my life be if my guidance counselor, the person in that educational setting who had this job, right? This job to invite me into a bigger, better, bolder vision of my life. Like, what if she actually took that job seriously? What would my life look like? What would my future look like? You know, as a coach, as, as a coach at Novus Global, one of the things that I love inviting clients into is what we call meta-performing visions for their life. It's one of my favorite parts of the job. I just love helping people start to imagine these results, these big, bold, beautiful results, right? Like, I love helping them see this impossible thing that they think is beyond their reach and inviting them to start to feel and think and imagine what it would be like to be there living the impossible. I invite them into seeing and choosing results that require them to grow in order to achieve them. Now imagine if Sister Ruth was that type of coach or educator. Imagine if our educational system did that for every young mind. I mean, imagine what this world would be like if we were to nurture human potential from a place of love and compassion and limitless possibilities in order to achieve growth as a human being. Why don't you tell us a little bit, like, why the heck did you give your life to education? So my uh, parents are both educators. And it's interesting that I start there because sounds, that sounds like a cause, but it really is just setting. Um, and so, you know, I got to watch educators work a lot. You know, I, I was in class before the bell rang, you know, because we, we got to school early. And so I watched my dad set up a classroom and just kind of design a space for learning, set intention out into the world. And then ultimately, when, uh, when, when I started to, to gain a sense of self, it, it, I, I, I want to give full credit to that, that background, right? To, to listening to my mom teach in a totally different style in our home, you know, piano lessons, uh, than my dad did in his Montessori classrooms. Like they were worlds apart in their methods. And so when it came time for me to kind of discern where, uh, where I was going to spend my activity, I really thought of like no greater industry in terms of impact. Like, oh, I could uh, be influential in people's lives. Uh, in, in young people's lives so that they then make certain choices based on just stuff that they encounter, right? In, in this small microcosm that I build, right? That it, when they walk into my, my classroom, they know X, Y, and Z happen. They know that um, there's a certain way of being, right? That's going to serve them in my classroom and help them grow. Um, and it was always aimed toward that, by the way. It's, it's like this, this is something that hasn't changed for me 
you know, since I was in a classroom saying like, um, I don't really care about your grades. I do care about who you are in my class. And so that became that level of engagement that I was, I was seeking then. But before then, it really was just saying, man, education, when, and here, let me, let me, I'm going to project this, but I think it's still true. Like I'm, I'm projecting from here all the way in 2050 back into myself in 2002, you know, as a high school junior, I really felt like what educators do is, is a work of love. Like it is a great way to love people. It is a, a powerful way to love people into change. And it's not change because they are not good enough. It is change because it's going to be necessary for them. It's going to be necessary for Mm -hmm. them to live the lives that they actually want to live. And so I don't think it, I, I, I will, I promise you back then as a 16, 17 year old, I didn't actually think those thoughts, but I intuited them. I can say that I intuited that, Oh, people want good lives. They want lives of purpose, of meaning of like, where they are like fully living them. And to do that, they're gonna have to uh, put some things down and pick some things up. And that, that's, that doesn't come naturally. And so it actually takes training. So how do you train that, mm-hmm. right? Well, teachers do that, right? <laughs> and that's where that came from. When we think about the, I would say like the heart of true education. And I hear part of what I hear you saying is like, man, it is a labor of love. Like if you're really going to educate people and educate well, do it from a place of love. And I, so whenever I talk to new teachers, people who are like fresh or like studying to be a teacher or, or just like your story, it's like my parents Mm -hmm. were teachers and I could see like the way they educated, they would come home jazz and they would teach me things. And I fell in love with it. And then, you know, they take that optimism, that hope and that love and they get into the educational system and something mm-hmm. happens. Like they get beat mm-hmm. down by, oh, this isn't easy. Oh man, there's kids that are difficult. Oh man, there are parents who show up and don't care about their kid. Um, there's, you know, there's kids who don't have parents. There's, I mean, fill in the blank, right? Of all the, all the issues that come into play. And I, what I've seen happen with a number of either friends that are teachers, you know, um, family members that are teachers, or, and just like the endless stories of what it means to be a teacher is this sense of disillusionment right. starts to, to set in. This sense of despair and skepticism and cynicism. And then you have teachers who basically clock in, get a check, and it just becomes another job. So when you talk, like when we talk about the future of, of education, one is, have we found a way to remedy that? Absolutely. Well, and that's largely because of what you you described. And we saw that, you know, the, the uh, teacher teacher dropout rate is remarkable, right? Like, uh, I think it's something, and, and I could fact check this, I think it's something like 67%, like two out of three teachers don't last, don't keep going after their first year and a half. <laughs> and which is... Uh, yeah. And, and that could point to all, any number of things, right, back where you are. But now it's very different because, like I said, in order to uh, salvage that, in order to, to regain those space as a place where, where that love, the inspiration and the motivation that brought people to education as, a, um, as the activity that they wanted to be engaged in, we're like, how do we keep them? What, what's missing? And yeah. that's why we reshaped it. To, to make passion the centerpiece. Passion is this the pillar, or a main pillar of our uh, our education systems. And so, you know, one one of the things that you know it, it kind of started in was was like a we got really good at our 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 questioning, our our, inter- our interview skills, and we really asked like, hey, uh, would you do this if you didn't get a paycheck? Right. Like, would you show like, would you show up just if this was a hobby and we found those people and then we, we like really we, we cultivated them. We helped them rub off on others 
right? With their positivity. We help them coach and train others to say like, oh no, this is the way you think about it. It's not because I'm just a special person, right? It's no, no, this is how I think. And then you're like, oh wow, there's new ways of thinking. That's interesting, right? And so the now teacher education shifted and while at the same time, right? School, the school landscape was changing so that um, it cultivated passions instead of made them accessory, as, is, as in passions were extracurricular. Passions were, were, they got in the way of the results, right? Uh, re- results being graduation rates, results being college placement, yeah. results being SAT scores, right? Now, instead, because we were now focused on actually, there's a noble life that, re- that will require you to understand what you're passionate about, keep it in check when necessary, right? Um, But also you need to listen closely to it. Listen closely to what you're ready to uh, get excited and risk for and possibly suffer for. Those are things that we really, Mm -hmm. really honed in on to make centerpieces of our curricula, centerpieces of our cultures. And it's just, it's everywhere. Public school, private school, charter school, universities. Right. Yeah. Now you have teachers who uh, are, you know, so instead of they're really nervous about like, oh, gosh, am I going to get tenure? That kind of stuff. They're looking and saying, I wonder where I'm going to teach next. Like, I wonder where I'm going to go. And like, like, they're almost like, and I don't like this, this analogy, uh, but they're like traveling salesmen of their craft. They're just like, hey. I've got this skill set and I'm really into it. And I've got this YouTube channel and all these ways to just like be myself out in the world so that it like sprinkles good seed yeah. everywhere. And I think so to me, it's like the word passion, the idea of passion. I think most of us understand passion as like, yeah, what am I really yeah, excited nah. about mm-hmm. solely? And, and I think what, you know, what you and I know passion is, is what are you willing to suffer for? And not just that, suffer gladly. Right, exactly. Right? Suffer, like, suffer with fervor and like that glint in your eyes. Yeah, because it's not right. a burden. It's not, you're not just like, oh, okay, I guess I got to go to work. it's worth but it. But it's like, but it right? is, because this one, yeah. right. Well, that's why I say is like, I think why a lot of teachers yeah. jump out is because they're not, when we talk about they're not, it, it isn't a passion and they aren't willing to suffer gladly for it where it's like, okay, there's some obstacles. There's some unruly kids. There's some parents who make my job difficult. There's, you know, my, my principal is making, you know, things difficult. The school system, the government, fill in the blank of all right. the problems that all of us have come into contact with. And, and yet if you're a teacher who says, but this is That's my right. passion, like I'm here on earth to suffer well, to suffer gladly for the sake of passing on true education, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is, I, I definitely, I, I, I'm, I get excited about that future where every single teacher and every single person who is in, involved in the educational system is passionate about what they're doing, is passionate about, you know, shaping um, young minds. That's right. And, and that was one of the biggest breakthroughs uh, in, these, in these intervening years. Is, is a real collective mind shift that like we could kind of take a deep breath and be like, we're okay. We're not in competition with like these bogeymen of success. Um, we're, in fact, we just need to take it easy and slowly toward a good life, toward that noble life that we were, you know, we're describing also exists at this time. To say, oh, what does it look like to make these uh, classrooms and schools kind of practice fields and practice rooms for, for lives of generosity and lives of creativity, uh, lives of abundance? And, and that mind shift was so crucial because now all of a sudden, instead of being like, oh, no, we're not there yet, right? All year long for teachers. We're not where we need to be. We're not like the, the tests are coming up and we don't know. And like all of that, it shifted. It shifted just almost overnight with kind of this realization of saying, these are kids. This is youth. They're in the middle of a transformation and they're in the middle of change. Mm-hmm. They're literally, well, 
part. They're literally on the figurative learning curve, right? Like, <laughs> there's yeah. more of that paradox. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that, that the whole point of school is that it's a learning curve, right? And so mm-hmm. let's deal graciously. Let's approach with generosity because they're exactly where they need to be. Why? Because that's where they are, right? And so there's this fight yeah. with like, oh, well, what they should, what they shouldn't, what where they ought to be is like, actually, this is where they are. Let's meet them there. My wife, uh, Lena, she works in education. That's right, guys. I, I'm officially married. The last time you heard from me, um, I, I wasn't a married man yet. My wife and I, we've had plenty of conversations about education and what does it look like in the world. And now she's She's a specialist. She's way more well-versed than I am in this world of education. She's actually the vice president of education at iEducation. It's a network of schools across America. Yeah, yeah, my wife, she's kind of a big deal. And and she's told me story after story of teachers who showed up and, and really turned their job into an art form in the midst of this pandemic because it hasn't been easy for them. It's been this taxing experience for many of them where they're they're really figuring out how do we do education through a computer screen, through Zoom. But it's been amazing because she's, she said that their love for the kids that they serve and their dedication to this reality of education has not been deterred. I mean, teachers and educators in the year 2020 are some of the many unsung heroes. Which is why it hurts me knowing that like time and time again, teachers go on strike over class size and lack of support staff or, or right, like educators walk out to protest their pay and, and the fact that they don't have great benefits. I mean, some of my friends who teach are currently feeling burned out. They're just feeling like they're in need of support. They're flat out tired and the workload isn't letting up anytime soon. You know, it wasn't long ago that I remember a friend of mine who had been a teacher for over 10 years saying he'd been resigned to the notion of clocking in and clocking out. Because after all, he said, right now teaching is just a job to me. You know, I remember just hearing that and I was like, man, like that can't be because teaching, it's, it's, it's more than that. Like educating young minds, old minds, like anybody who's in front of you, Right, having the opportunity to pass on knowledge, wisdom, or any type of worthwhile information, it, it's not a job. Like it can't be just a job, right? It's, it's, it's this noble duty that we get to carry out as educators. It's one of the most fundamental ways we grow and develop as human beings. It can't be just a job. I mean, I mean, we all agree, right? Education is one of the most crucial ingredients to making the world a better place. And yes, it isn't the only component, but it's a pretty damn important one. But having this conversation with Joseph, right? The future that he is visiting us from values education. It values educators. It values the learning and the stretching and the growing and the nurturing and the ways we can be the best version of ourselves. It is a future my wife and Joseph, along with many of my dear friends, have dedicated their lives to. It is a future that needs us to invest our time and energy into. It is a future I'm inviting you to imagine living in. It is a future I'm confident we can create. system as you know it is a relic of the past. It is no more. Today, on November 12, 2050, we truly educate one another. The whole framework has shifted. You'd be surprised at the amount of strong, viable options for schooling that exist at every level. We've stopped thinking of education as something that's a given, something that we ought to get through. Instead, we all now think of it as our most precious yet abundant resource. Schools are no longer contrary or competitive to another. Public, private, 
Charter, Magnets, Homeschool Co-ops, Microschools, Waldorf, Montessori. They all saw that they wanted the same thing, human flourishing. In the future, school is a place students long to go to because learning is something everyone wants to do. It delights both young and old. It challenges us in a way that we can't help but be dedicated to. Our educational community, this world, we love spending time reading, thinking, questioning, and stretching our minds into concrete actions. Because our work now is to become the best version of ourselves, both individually and in our groups. The questions that drive our world go beyond what are our problems and what's the quickest way to get past them. Instead, the wisdom of our education rests on this question. How can our problems solve us? Today, right here, right now, we delight in the question. The risk of asking and the risk of response are the new status quo. We are insatiably curious about what it means to be fully human. We are as gracious as we are exacting when it comes to exploring what's true for living good and beautiful lives. Our world needs your commitment to bettering our educational systems. The only way we get here is through what you do there. We need your willingness to embrace paradox. We need your passion for exercising your mind and your skills with integrity as well as with novelty. We need strong individuals and strong communities. We need the same commitment that we have to equal opportunity as we do to excellence. We need your wholehearted delight in what's unknown and the fierce chase fueled by what we do know. This hopeful future I'm speaking to you from needs you, each and every one of you. That's why I'm sending you this transmission from the future with love. On the next episode of From the Future with Love, we'll be doing a recap of 2020. This, uh, I mean, how do you describe this year? This year that none of us could have written in the script. This, this year that has been beyond imagination, but this year that I think has transformed us in, in plenty of amazing ways. And you'll get a chance to hear from the Future with Love crew, Rithu, Matthew, Hammond, and myself. It's been one hell of a year, and there is a lot to talk about. You won't want to miss it. From the Future with Love was written and performed by yours truly, Johan Kalilian, produced by Rithu Jagannath, Matthew Jones, executive produced by Jason Jaggard, fact-checked by Miss Jagannath, editing, mix, and tech production by Hammond Chamberlain, photography by Jess Kaler, and graphic design by Ivan Lizarde. Special thanks to Joseph for visiting us from 2050, and to everyone who is a part of our Time Traveler community. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and I will see you in the future, my friends. <laughs>